Okay. Okay, good. Now I hear it. Yes, thank you. Sorry about those technical difficulties, okay. but uh, yeah, I can hear you. All right, good. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that, but uh, sorry. Who am, I, who am I talking to? <laughs> One more time. <laughs> Uh, this is Kenning J.P. Garcia. And you wanted to talk, of, I think, mostly about um, your novel of what place meant. Yeah, that, that's that's mostly what I want to talk about. I'm, I mean, I'm open to anything, but yeah, that you know, that's my most recent thing. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess um, when you were when we were DMing about it, you mentioned that um, it could be kind of read and and kind of like skimmed in in a kind of way. And something that we talked about, we have, I've talked about in the past with guests is like um, approaching poetry like comic books. And I know that's something you're interested in. I was just wondering, like, uh, is that kind of where that attitude towards reading comes from for this book? Or where's that from? Well, so I am really big into comic books. And um, maybe some of my sense structuring comes from comic books. And a lot of times, especially when I was younger, Actually, even still now, maybe I flip through a comic book, look at the pictures real quick before I like really read the thing, right? Uh, I don't know why I kind of spoil it for myself many times like that. But um, I think it's not exactly where I got that idea in terms of like how to, how to write the thing. But it's not far off. I want people to be able to just like kind of jump in anywhere. Really, really the idea kind of came from like... Uh, from dealing with Proust, because he, with Proust, he's always, like, kind of going through some of the same uh, memories over and over again, so you can kind of jump in at any memory, like, yes, you should read it, read him in a uh, straightforward fashion, like, from beginning to end, but you can kind of jump in in the middle, and I also read about Marshall McLuhan years ago, uh, talking about how that's how he read Finnegan's Wake, just kind of flipped to any page, and I was like, I'd be kind of nice if I wrote to be able to flip to any page. It doesn't work out all the time, but I think that uh, my sections are so short that you can kind of get at it and it doesn't matter what's happening. It's not a very, it's not linear. Yeah. And I guess structurally it reminds me like there's been a lot of poets now kind of maybe in a more prosy fashion, whether it's like through prose poetry or um, I guess more aphoristically writing in like a series of linked paragraphs that are maybe a sentence or just a line or maybe a couple pages long. And you, you also have that kind of structure is that I know um, like, so I think some people are coming at it from in, in America right now, like say uh, Maggie Nelson or something are might be coming at it from a different angle, but like you mentioned Proust and a lot of the writers you say in here, like, um, Baudelaire and stuff are coming, I think, from a slightly different tradition there with the prose poem. Is that is that what you're interested in there, I think? Okay, so um, I really it's weird. I, I guess I, I always want to try to push away from uh, calling my, my, my work a, a prose poem because what I, what I want to feel like is um, thought poetry, right? So my, my thought was that I like David Anton, and he said he wondered if he could talk you a poem, right? If he could talk a poem to you. And I wondered, could I think a poem to you, right? And I wanted to kind of get at the idea of just these little thoughts. And I don't know that prose poems are necessarily doing that. That's why some of my, my work is so jagged, because I think about how jagged a thought actually is. Uh, one of my first uh, books, are, which is actually written like in actual uh, poetry form, like it has line breaks and everything like that. 
was really about doing those little thoughts and observations. Over the years, I've kind of decided to make it more sentence-based and uh, maybe paragraph-based. And then I decided that maybe what I'm doing is really diary more so than anything else. But it's really all been, just been a cataloging. That's what it really comes down to. Is that I wanted to catalog it. Like, I don't number anything, but you can almost call my novel a listicle in some ways. Right. Well, so I listened to, um, I think I first heard about your work through Averin's podcast, The Waves Breaking. And on that podcast, talking about a different project, you mentioned um, that you were interested in chronicling. And I think in this one, you have a line or something where you, um, and I guess structurally with the sort of italicized portions, which are, I think, reflections on past writing, you kind of um, ask, you know, what, what can I do to go from chronicler to examiner? So like, how does that, I guess, how does that fit into this too? Okay. So all the, it, all the italicized pieces are actually literally flat out uh, diary things I wrote years ago, right? So like I, I took a trip uh, across the country on like a bus, right? And I wrote about where I went and stuff like that. You know, I want to kind of create a uh, travel diary. And it, it turns out I didn't do that much writing, right? Maybe I have like 12 pages for the 12 days I was on the road, right? Maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit less, right? But uh, anyway, so I decided uh, when I was writing the, the new novel, can I get that into that? So I want to put new chronicling in with, against old chronicling. Only thing I did that changed that ital those italic uh, parts, those italicized parts, was to take out place names because I want to... I want to actually push back against Proust because his whole thing is names and he has a big thing about names. So I want to take the names away from it. But anyway, so in, in this one, and actually I'm working on something now too, which is, yeah, how do I go from a chronicler to examiner? Because the idea is maybe we need to do more than just record. At one point I, I thought it was really cool just to record things because I want to say, I want to take away a lot of the idea of action. Right, and I want to take a lot away, take away a lot of the idea of subject and object. But now I think maybe we need to go a little bit deeper and try to think our way into a piece, you know, and, and allow, allow ourselves to understand our thoughts. If that makes sense, because I don't think chronicling necessarily has to do that. Chronicling can just be literally cataloging. But like, uh, if you can have a catalog where you also describe a bit of the item that you put into the catalog into the file, I guess that that's interesting. I want to try to examine a little bit. You know, and I think that's more interesting for the reader, too. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I can talk about writing to myself, but if I'm going to put something in a form to to either sell or to give to people, it it should interest them in some way besides just a pure list. Yeah, and I guess maybe to circle back a bit to um, thinking and, and how I'm trying to convey thoughts, I think that that's a big theme in, in this in this book. And you know, one of the few one of the few American writers you cite is um, Barbara Guest, and I think that that was kind of a project of like the New York School in a way, is you know trying to convey how thought works. So you know, I think like how so how do you I guess envision how how thought works in that way? Okay, so um, yeah, I am glad that you brought the the New York School a little bit. I mean, like it's funny because like I, I put Guest in there because uh, that's literally who I was reading at at the moment, right? And I really, uh, I really am into hyperrealism and really trying to like uh, record what's going on as it happens. So I'll, I'll always put in what I'm reading at the moment or what I'm listening to at the moment and that kind of stuff. But I'm, um, uh, you know, 
kind of a big New York school fan. Like, I, especially the later ones, like Ted Berrigan, you know. Uh, but I also like Frank O'Hara. But anyway, so how I envision thought is, or maybe now I'm forming my thoughts to be this way, are I really look at them as, as flashes. I don't think they last that long. Like, I never, I always say I do sparks of consciousness that are streams of consciousness. So I don't think they last that long. And I don't know exactly where one thought ends and the other one begins, even though I do put asterisks all throughout my work. Maybe I should stop doing that because that's kind of creating a break that's not really there. But it's like, okay, I say one thought doesn't necessarily trigger another thought sometimes. Because so, I spend a lot of time daydreaming now. I'm like really conscious of daydreaming. And it, things just shift. At one point, I was really into like kind of a meditation, right? And kind of doing more of a Zen thing. But then I really decided that I want to do more of a Zazen thing, right? And do like a bring everything in, bring everything in. And I call my work like kind of kitchen sink work. I throw the whole thing in there. But what's separating one thing from another? How's one thing start, another thing start? I don't really know. Like, guess, uh, you know, I, was, I went to school for linguistics. I should have gone for cognitive science because <laughs> I want to know more about how thought really, really works, as opposed to how language uh, conveys those thoughts. Yeah, and in terms of, like, um, the way you're thinking about thought, like, it really reminded me, like, there's a John Ashbery quote where I think he says something like, you know, the he's kind of grasping, he's kind of, like, exploring the ideas as they float around his conscious, several, like, he's ex exploring the several ideas that are floating around his conscious consciousness, and I was kind of wondering, like, you know, you mentioned work several times in this, working, you know, in a kitchen or working, um, uh, you know, or working in general. And I wanted to, like, know, like, did, so were, were some of these thoughts, um, like, arrived at over, you know, several hours of the day? Or did you just, uh, or is this more of an automatic writing style? Okay, so, um, yeah, occasionally I got to sit down for, like, a good period of time and got to write for a while. But a lot of times it was spread out over the course of a, of a shift at work, right? So maybe I got to write, like, on break, right? Maybe I got to do some really write, real writing on, like, on lunch, right? And maybe sometimes I just kind of stole a second to the side when no one was paying attention to me to, like, type something into my phone. And maybe I went to the restroom for extra long and typed some stuff. So uh, there's a mix of things, but, but mostly a lot, a lot of it actually was written literally at work and in like these small bursts when I could get them, you know? Uh, and that's when I'm actually working on a, a new piece too. Uh, I'm going to have to take time to, to sit down, and write larger things where I got to think a little bit more about it. But yeah, I tried to do as much of it in small bursts at work specifically because I wanted to, to give a bit of my work to people, even if it doesn't talk about my work too much. It's just, I don't know. I don't think that, whether I was a cook, whether I was doing inventory work, whether I've been a maintenance person, none of these things seem to really sound... They, they, I don't seem like the kind of person who would be writing the kind of work that I do. And that's why I want to do it at work, to be like, no, I really thought about these things while doing uh, the kind of tasks that I do. And if you don't mind me asking, uh, what are you doing now? Uh, right now, right now, I'm a, a maintenance worker. Like, uh, So I work in the... I used to do inventory in a this very, very large, actually the largest, uh, I'll just say, the largest Walmart in America is in Albany, New York. That's where I live. 
and uh yeah i've been i've been working there for a while i used to do inventory but now i do maintenance so uh yeah i sweep floors wax them sometimes scrub them you know and i do uh upstairs and downstairs it's a two-story walmart and that's what i do now yeah and there, there's a lot in your work about thinking and consciousness and but uh, there's also a lot in your work about like consumerism and how that relates to that so like do you does that kind of collide with your job at walmart now i guess uh yeah like you know it's uh i, I like to say uh i'll take their money i don't want to give them my money kind of thing you know so <laughs> yeah it, 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 you know and that's not to say i don't at the end of the day i'll be like i'm broke and that's a good price right so i have to so sometimes i cough up my cash there too you know right like we all have to eat, right? Or we need, or I want like a t-shirt, you know, to wear at work the next day. Right. And that's the cheapest t-shirt I could find. But yeah, it, it's, it's hard to, to juggle those two things. But at the same time, I got, I didn't get paid well as a cook. And, um, I had issues there too, with the amount of food we threw out, you know, where we got our food from. I feel, you know, th there's no ethical consumption. Maybe there's no ethical creation either in some ways. Yeah, and I mean, you grapple a lot in this with creation, too, and I guess how, like, I guess maybe not the responsibilities, but with how um, creation, how, how writing comes to you. So, you know, how, how do you see, like, I guess a more ethical creation in this situation, too? Because something else I want to talk to you about is, um, like, self-publishing, because I think you, you've self-published a lot of your work. So, I mean, does that, does that fit in brought more broadly to that for you? Okay, so, uh, you know, I, I often say that, like, when it comes to writing, I don't create, I just assemble. I grab things, uh, you know, out of the, you know, out of the air. Like, that's why, that's why, like, uh, I guess this could actually be called a collage novel, and, and the new one I'm doing could also be called a collage novel, and, the, like, at least that's what uh, people are calling these kinds of things also now are collage novels, right? So, like, uh, you know, I feel like I don't create. I, I, I work around a lot of quotes that I get, a lot of, like, sites that I've seen, you know, it's, it's, I think, what did I create? I just, I put together some pieces, right? You know, I assembled something, uh, you know, or I uh, sanded some things down and things like that. I just polished them up. But um, in terms of self-publishing, um, so I guess in the beginning, I just wanted to, to get my own work out there. And I felt like uh, some processes were going too slowly for me. But I also, I didn't see the right presses right away that I want to send things to. Uh, now maybe i'll send some stuff out to, to bigger presses i do work with uh west vine press it's very small uh, press out of uh michigan but um i always want to make sure i could control the price as much as possible so even though well now now i have a patreon page also where, I, where people can get like uh my book but uh oh, before we'll that for everyone by the way for sure okay, cool but before that i want to make sure that uh an ebook you know on kindle i could set for free or for very little you know um i always i've said over and over again on like facebook twitter whatever you can always ask me for pdfs if, if i had them you know sometimes i you know get a new computer oh crap i lost the whole book that i had you know but like uh you know if i if i don't move things around but i always want to make things as accessible as possible even when i get uh paper copies of books i give things away as much as possible it's very important to me to know that people can get uh my work if they want my work you know i don't want to push it on them, but if they want it i want to give it to them because i know how expensive all these things are like half the books i have are secondhand like by someone giving it to me or like buying it like really cheap in a used bookstore 
oftentimes I say like, uh, I don't read the best of a writer. I read the, the, the writing by that writer that's available. Right. So <laughs> I miss some of the, the, the big ones. I read like off brand <laughs> versions of people's work. No, I mean, for me too, probably 80% of the books I own are from used bookstores. And I, you know, like you said, I get, basically I get what's been printed the most, not what's necessarily the best, but yeah. you know, like, yeah. And I was, I was kind of struggling my words there to think of a word other than creation at the moment, because I know you, you like write about, I guess, pastiche and in, in the book itself, you write like even in pastiche and quoting, in re, quoting, reject, push back always. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of pushing back in this work. You know, at one point you even state like, um, I think, uh, thinking or thought is always contradictory or, uh, it done in contradiction so maybe you could you talk a bit about like contradiction in your work okay yeah so when and i all right so i'm kind of mentoring somebody you know which is a weird thing for me to say but i was trying to explain this to this person also is when somebody's left alone a lot or chooses to be alone either one any kind of like solitary like uh space that someone takes up I used to say confinement, but now I feel really weird about calling uh, staying by yourself confinement. Like, because like, jail is like a very, very real thing, and I don't want to fucking take that away, away from anybody. So, in a so, uh, isolationist moment, you know, you talk to yourself. So, right, you get to have a, your own conversation. You get to have your own dialectics with yourself and your own arguments with yourself. So, sometimes you're going to contradict yourself because even though you want to believe one thing, you understand another thing to be uh, also important or also even true. And I want to try to bring that stuff in a lot. I, I definitely want to have a lot of contradictions in myself. But also, there's another thing I talk about a lot, which is uh, Akvatova talked about correspondences in the air, right? So sometimes we're talking to the book we're reading. We're talking to the song we heard. We're talking to the movie we're watching. And there, that sometimes can be a, a yes, yes moment or a no, no moment, right? So you, Or a yes, no moment, too. Uh, and now I've been referring to that as a, I'm going to call myself uh, the rejectionist because, you know, I reject a lot of things as opposed to even just contradicting. I say, like, I don't agree, and these this is why, you know? Uh, before, I was just trying to, like, say, well, what if I do the opposite, or what if uh, I shift it a little bit, you know? But sometimes, it's, sometimes I think it's good to just say no. Even that no wraps back around to a yes, as often does with me. <laughs> right, and I, I guess I want to do, do maybe talk about one specific instance, and this is early on in the book, where you say... Uh, frailty always frailty begs always to be given more chances to evade breakage and i guess like that resonates with me when you think about like you know more broadly like the contradictions in our society as you know sites of also being where it's reproduced yeah. i mean do yeah do so do you i really get a sense like that you maybe see the world in a similar way to that yeah you know um yeah pretty pretty much you know um I, I I don't think I don't think my underlying like philosophy ha, uh, has changed too much on the, on that one. Yeah, I think I'm still kind of kind of there, you know. Uh, well, I you know what it is too is I also feel like no matter how weak or strained or thin something is, I give it a lot of chances before I finally like set it free before before I break or before it breaks or before we break apart from each other. I guess, yeah. Yeah, so I sorry to sorry I'm interrupting a bit, but like in that same context, I wanted to ask you too about like 
you know, like I said earlier, you cite Baudelaire, you cite Apollinaire, you cite, um, I think, HD maybe. Um, uh, there's a bunch of, I guess, French modernist writers in here who I think uh, for a lot of people would be, <laughs> have said a lot of very uh, problematic things over the course of their writing. And so, like, how, I guess, how do you relate to that? Because often, because I see you, you know, even if you're writing in that same kind of vein at times, you, you, you avoid a lot of their, the things they've, they've done that are quite problematic. Okay, so, it, you know, it, it's, it's tough because I know, well, actually, I, I think that uh, reading Ralph Ellison helped me a lot. Like, reading out Ralph Ellison's essays, he kind of deals with, like, a filtration system. He understands that Twain's problematic. He understands that Faulkner's problematic. He understands that Hemingway's problematic. But he also understands, like, what he can do with it, how he can use that, that whatever style or substance there to, like, make something new and something better and something more suited specifically to his needs and maybe to even larger, like, his people's needs. Uh, Toni Morrison was a big Virginia Woolf fan, which I didn't know. And, uh, you know, obviously she avoids a lot of the pitfalls of, pitfalls of uh, Virginia Woolf. I think for me, it was the same thing. It's like, I, I like uh, symbolism. You know, uh, I don't, I have a, a weird relationship with, with surrealism, you know, but I felt like I could take some of these ideas that they were, that they were throwing out there, some of their style, and just speak to what I needed to say. And I also felt like I hadn't really read a book that felt like what I want to hear uh, from somebody I know who was like uh, not making a lot of money, you know, working a, you know, a low wage job came from a very, very poor background, even if now I'm living kind of in a better neighborhood, but I, I can't, I can barely afford my apartment. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't get that kind of writing from a lot of these people. And I wanted to, to put that out there for myself. My newer book, I'm kind of, approaching a little bit differently you know now i'm using like uh like somebody like don going right up against uh virginia wolf and that but in that one i really want to go at some of these uh these modernist writers some of these symbolists and like see what i could do with it you know and i just like sometimes i i have to gloss over a sentiment occasionally to just be like i'm gonna push through to get through the style of the book you know uh like, I try not to be too angry about people knowing when they existed. If someone does it later and later, like, into the 80s, into the 90s, into, you know, the 2000s, and I'm like, all right, you have some serious problems. I, I'm a little bit nicer to people uh, before a certain era because they're all screwed up as far as I'm concerned, you know? It's like, maybe if I look back at Proust, maybe I missed something there too, but I don't think so. I, I feel like Proust is pretty pretty conscious and, you know, compares like uh homosexuals and jews with uh the plight of like black people around the world he does this a couple times you know like he, he's very on top of like the dreyfus affair so i feel like he's a little bit different than some of the other people but i feel like it it's tough finding a it's tough finding a book that's not problematic from like a certain era maybe i shouldn't read them but i i, I just do <laughs> yeah so i guess maybe to ask you a bit about the surrealists like one way I think you could read them as is maybe doing a sort of hyper reality of the mind. So I, I mean, is that what you're getting from them? Like, what's what's your, what's your relationship there with the surrealists? Oh, with surrealism, there's a, there's a couple things that I, I say about surrealism, 
And one of the, the big things I feel with surrealism is, so there was a lot of theft involved with surrealism in the first place, right? A lot of cultural appropriation, right? Coming out of like Lorca, right? Like he wanted to write like, uh, like these people before him, want to write like, like some of the, the Arabic, uh, Middle Eastern, you know, not just Arabic, also Persian, right? Like, and like Sufius writers and uh, some of the Sephardic writers before him, right? So in surrealism, which maybe he, kind of gets but kind of doesn't get so he has this elongation of time and this weird thing that he does with time and like uh when it comes to like uh like uh the arabic language or five hours of the dawn that's already a stretched out version of, of time that's demarcated even though we also obviously see the same slow sunrise right so like that that was that's an important thing them is a stretching out of anything an elongation thing but the other thing I think surrealism has is there's like some sort of uh, underlying thing that every that certain people are in on. Not everybody, but certain people are in on. There's a sort of inside joking in surrealism that I that I like, and that's what I do. I think that uh, that there's always this. Oh, we know what's going on. This is some. This is standing in for something, or it doesn't look exactly right because we can't give you the exact thing. If we give you the exact thing, then We'll, be, we'll be just be giving away too much. We'll, we'll expose ourselves. Like, I, like surrealism at, at its core, as psychoanalytical as it is right now, as personal as it can be, is very political too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, surrealism and Dadaism were both leftist movements, and I and I see that. Yeah. Like, I think that's something you 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 bring from them to to your work. You know, uh, thank you. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like. I, I, I hope that's what I'm doing, but I always wonder that I'm, that I'm not doing that. People are like, you're not saying anything, but good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes it's a, a little more maybe oblique than just saying, you know, overthrow the government. But <laughs> I definitely think it's there. Like, you know, one thing that's a, a recurring theme throughout this is is time. And I think there's a way in which um, time feels now under this current era that uh, is really worth exploring. Um, do you do you feel like? I mean, how how do you do you feel like? Like a lot of people feel like time's accelerated lately. Do you do you feel that way? Oh, like this is that's like my bread and butter, right? Like uh, I, I so one of the things I've been careful about using is the term Afrofuturist because I feel like Afrofuturism gets you think about Delaney and Butler, and I'm not I'm not that camp. That's not the kind of Afrofuturist I am, right? Like um, what I am into is Futurism, like Marshall McLuhan, like uh, like Alvin Toffler, uh, that kind of futurist. And Alvin Toffler in Future Shock talks all about how fast time is moving, and I think about that a lot. The other thing I think about though is how fast time is moving, but how slowly uh, money wants it to move. Right. So like if if someone's giving you money, they want that time to go slowly so you can get a lot done until they want to get that money, then they want that time to go quickly. So I always think about how money and time play into each other, even though time is moving very quickly and we keep getting new inventions and new ways of doing things a little bit faster, but how much can we produce in that amount of time? So I, I'm still thinking kind of like, it's sort of an old school, like almost industrial revolution thought, like thought process about time, but I do understand it's moving faster. And I think a lot about duration and, uh, and uh temporality you know i i uh i actually do a lot of things that are just ephemeral like i post like memes and i just hope they disappear i never plan on uh 
packaging them up into a book, same thing with all my erasures. I want them to get erased by time. You know, uh, yeah, so I'm always very concerned with how fast things come and go, like how one one week the hot new meme is Epstein didn't kill himself, next week it'll be something else. Well, Epstein, Epstein didn't kill himself, but no. Um, himself. But, but that, the meme will be gone soon. No, <laughs> no one will care about yeah. it. No, that is that is very true. But I, I wanted to say maybe too, like with regard to what you're saying about time, like there is a way in which you're right that I guess one way to think about it would be that um, finance or finance or capital wants time, maybe not to slow down, but wants to incrementalize it even smaller to make mm, transactions happen faster and faster. So in a way, there's, I guess, a further chopping up of time and you talk a couple times i think about the you know i think you use the phrase calculations of capital maybe you use the phrase calculations but i think it'd probably be apt to say calculations of capital um i mean well first off is do you think that's fair oh yeah absolutely like uh well i, I think i think you're right about they want to make more increments of time like smaller increments of time whatever and i i do i all I, well see now it's many years later, right? Like, I, it, it's funny to keep bringing it up sometimes, but, like, I always say, I was supposed to go to school for math. And I'm like, all right, that was 20 years ago you were supposed to go to school for math. But anyway, I was supposed to go to school for math, you know, and then I became a, uh, uh, a writer, right? I actually thought that I was going to go from math to comedy and not to, like, poetry, and especially not the avant-garde, like, kind of poetry, right? But uh, I think that I've never lost sight of how things are being calculated i'm always thinking of some sort of a there's always some sort of arithmetic i know is going on with people you know uh especially people who want to make money right like and you can't how can you not think about it? like our whole so much of us is numbers you know like we're numbered you know in terms of our social security but then like you know how much how much is this hour worth to you how much is a half hour worth to you so i'm always thinking in terms of calculations yeah and then that time being some sort of calculation and I also talk about cost analysis all the time. Like, I'm sure my new book has it written in a thousand times already, too. <laughs> well, that's something to for everyone to look out for, your new book about cost analysis. <laughs> well, I wish it was deep, but, it, you know, it's probably like, you know, barely touching the surface, but it, it's still there, you know. And I think in a, in a poem, maybe it's nice, or in like a diary, it's nice. And, you know, if I can spin a romance into it, then it'll be even better, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, so that, that kind of brings me to something else I wanted to ask you about is your like relationship to narratives in this, because this is called uh, a, a new label. This is a novel instead of a novel. So like, I guess, how do you envision narratives? Well, and let me ask maybe more specifically, like there's, there's a portion in here that is actually, I believe like the, the start, the first three chapters of a novel you attempted to write. Yes. <laughs> okay. So again, a, a kitchen sink doing stuff, right? Like, so I want, I had a novel I was really trying to start. Like when, when my mom died, I was like, I'm going to write this. And I'm an idiot. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to write this. Like Bruce would write this, you know, like he had, a, he had somebody die and you know, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And I started it and it didn't go anywhere, but I decided to take what I had left. So that was written maybe four years before I actually wrote the, the, the total book. Right. And I put that in there. And that's, again, almost word for word, except for maybe I changed some places and stuff like that. So uh, I, have, I have a thing about what I've called shattered and scattered narratives. I feel like maybe you could put together all the pieces of a narrative in terms of exposition, rising action, conflict, uh, resolution, you know, conclusion, coda. All that stuff can, can 
can enter into a piece, maybe not in the order that people want them to be. So that'd be a, 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 a shattered or a scattered narrative, right? Uh, so I think that that's there. And actually, in, in, that no, in that novel, I believe that I do kind of have a little bit of a, of a story going, but it's hard to keep up with because I just take, uh, I go aside to talk about other things. But um, I do this in like all my long epic poems to where I feel like I'm really trying to weave themes together to be their own narrative. But I have issues with the way we think one thinks of a story. I always say a narrative will find a way, like we're always going to find some sort of beginning, middle, end as we want to find it. But I don't like this. I don't like, I don't like story. I don't like faking this thing. So maybe I don't do fiction, but I don't, cause I don't like having to like craft this false idea of this thing happened, that thing happened, it led to this. I want to get rid of causality as much as possible. That's one of my big, big no-nos. I, I, maybe in that book, if I didn't check it well, might have a because in it, but I, I certainly do not write because in any uh, of my creative work anymore. Like, it's one of the things I want to get rid of. Because, uh, seems I take down a lot, uh, appears, anything that's, that, that has uh, a one leading to another kind of thing directly, I try to get rid of. I, even though occasionally I joke around with conditionals, maybe, or sub subjective or uh, subjunctives, but not, not that much. I just don't, I don't buy into the way things are working in terms of like one to another. Right. Well, I think this brings up something else that we definitely need to talk about, which is prepositions, which, you know, you mentioned there are some kind of, there are some like narrative things that recur throughout this, but I'd, I'd say one of the things this is about to use a preposition would be like um, prepositions themselves, especially of. Yeah. So uh, I believe that you can look at most books and and you can find it's uh it's prepositionality. All right, one of the things I say like this is, um, the uh, the uh, the Aussie's a two book. He's going to his home. It's a two book. Uh, even though the Aeneid seems like it would be a two, also it's kind of a from. It's always discussing what kind of happened. We'll make this other big thing. It'll be great, but it's a from book. It it never wants to, never wants to let go of where it came from. And I think a lot of books are two books and from books. There are, uh, uh, Proust is a, is a with all the time. He's a with book. You know, I think that once you start looking at, at uh, a book. Well, maybe, so speak, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think something yeah. uh, people might want to hear you explain is um, how, how is Proust a with, a with writer? Oh, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'm actually working my way through with now. It's my new book. Is he's always very concerned, or maybe an, an among. Ooh, I didn't think about among before, but I, I'll, I'll go back to with and say maybe it's a with. I always think that he's very concerned with how he relates to another person. He always wants to have another person kind of near him. The sadness of the, of the beginning where he asked for the kiss from his mother and she doesn't want to give it to him kind of thing, that's already a with or by contrast or contradiction or without. I, maybe you never get a with without a without or a without without a with kind of thing, but he's always very much about person with a person. That, that's the hyper-romantic in him, you know what I mean? He wants to be with Albertine. Uh, his, he wants to be with his buddy Charlus, you know. Uh, so he has a lot. A lot of people are paired up throughout the book over and over again too. So there's a lot of withing going on. Right, and so maybe how does that relate to the of of this um, of of what place meant? Okay, so uh, I actually one I, I went to the dictionary and, and I in that book I've gone through every single sense of of there is. That's a that's a, a thing I did. That was the outline of the book, kind of. 
was to go through all the senses. But of it, you know, we, one we relate to the genitive, right? Like this person is of that, or this is a book of mine. So I always want to have this feeling that somebody wants to belong, you know, no matter how much they can't belong. Uh, it's very it, of and with are, are you know, like almost like sister prepositions in some ways, or cousin prepositions, or whatever, you know, in that they they're they're both about this sense of, of belonging and this closest to another thing. So that's why I always want to have that in it. But then for me to take away place names and ask yourself where like what are you what are you made of like what what is you you know that became the interest of the enemy that became the of of this book is of what you know and i don't know that i got to an of what of observations of ideas of you know that that's it's it's tricky you know um i i had to talk about embodiment recently at a panel and the only thing i could think to embody was uh to talk about in terms of embodiment, which is what uh, Proust would do too, is time. I couldn't really uh, talk about embodying a, a place. And it's not because I haven't lived in a place in a long time, but um, I don't know that I feel of those places anymore. It used to be a big thing to say, I'm from Brooklyn, right? I'm, you know, there's, there's a part of me that's of Brooklyn. Like there's, Brooklyn's a part of me, but maybe not anymore. It's been so long now. And Albany certainly doesn't feel like, it feels flat, it doesn't feel like anything. Well, maybe, maybe in this to, to return to narratives a bit. There's a there's a portion in here where you basically where you say fictions move too slowly, and maybe mm, that lack of belonging, that lack of of is maybe. Do you think that's related to the slowness of of fictions? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I it takes a. I think it takes a long time for us to make our stories. Like, uh, so I, I, I like uh. I love Jim Carroll, right? You know, he writes Basketball Diaries very, very young, right? And that's and it's an interesting book to read. I like it a lot, you know? Uh, I think Four Centuries is better, you know, but it wasn't my first introduction. But anyway, both even, even both those are written very young. But usually you have to get going to really get a good memoir out of somebody, right? Like, uh, it's weird to write a memoir too young. So, like, it, you know, you want to have... It takes a while for your, your story to get going. And in terms of to create a... Uh, create a false story takes even longer like when you just literally think about the amount of time you have to sit down to write a book it's much slower than something would occur like it, well i mean maybe not necessarily but i feel like it's it takes longer to think about opening a door and then writing about opening a door than to open a door you know like it doesn't when, when people say automatic writing i don't know if there is automatic writing it's kind of what i'm getting at like i feel like things occur and writing about occurring is a different thing. It's just slower. I don't know. I, maybe that's not the best explanation, but I, I feel like it is. You don't get to live in the moment in a writing is how I feel, I guess. Not that we ever live in a moment. No, totally. But I think maybe another good way of getting at this, like right now there's a lot of poets out there who are, who are writing memoirs. Um, how do you feel about that? You know, uh, I guess, I guess, you know, that's, that's, Hey, I'm doing diary, right? So, I, I, I'm not going to, I have no problem with that at all. Like people can, can write their memoirs whenever they feel fit, you know, in the same way that I'm going to, that I'm diarying right now, you know, to like kind of keep up. Uh, I guess for, for me, uh, young, when young people write memoirs, I, I'm kind of amazed because I'm just like, wow, you have that much to say already? this is going to be an intense book, you know, 
or maybe it's not. Maybe it's gonna be a very flat book. Maybe who knows? But uh, I, I like it. I think I think if you're ready to go and write a memoir, go ahead. You know, if you can take the time to look back, go ahead. Because I'm I'm all for people, uh, using memory. I'm all for people looking at memory. Like uh, not one day by Angaretta is a really great uh book, and it, you know it's all it's all about memories and sitting down every night to to deal with those memories. So I like that people are doing memoirs. I think I think there should be more creative nonfiction in any form at all, but uh, especially like a lyrical nonfiction, like uh, you know, like some uh, some of the poets are doing for memoirs. But ooh, it's intense. I want space from things, and I guess if you don't need space, you don't need space. That's good. But I, I just I want some space from from what occurred in terms of like going back to memory like that, you know. A diary is observational. It's a little bit different. I mean, certainly some memories are going to come in because observations will remind you of things. But to sit down and go, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, how that, you know, that's that's tough. I feel like I still have space from that. Well, maybe um, you, like, we've talked a lot about uh, some older writers from, like, 100 years ago. So, like, who are some people you're looking to now that are doing that? Hmm. It's it's tough like um there's certainly like a lot of new writers that i'm that i read but it's it's i don't know that i know any like uh modern well izzy oneric uh who lives down in uh new orleans uh had a lyrical like memoir kind of thing and, and i like i like uh i like their work a lot um but it's hard for me to think about people who do just that i mean i did a panel with uh with Isabella O'Hare, and we kind of talked about intuitive writing, you know, which is kind of dealing a bit with memory and certainly a lot with uh, observation. So I like uh, I like their work a lot and Jack Greyhaw's work a lot. But uh, oh, Jessica Jessica Smith, uh, I can't wait for Day Books to come out. That's uh, like lyrical diary. So yeah, there, there's some new people doing the doing the thing, you know. Um, and, but all drastically different approaches to like dealing with intuition, memory, diary if not necessarily straight up memoir. Yeah. And something, well, something regarding like space from writing about things that I want to ask you about since hearing you on Averin's podcast, you said this, um, I think you said you took a five year break from writing. Like why, how, how did that come about? Like, what, what happened that made you want to take a break? Well, it, it was, it's really simple. So, uh, I was a cook for a long time. I was cooked for about a dozen years. Right. Uh, and I met my, my ex, you know, maybe like four or five years into it. Right. And I was like, well, I have to get good at something. Right. Like, uh, I, I'm not a family person. Never thought I'd be a family person. But I was like, I guess we're going to do a family. I should probably get a career going. Right. So I was putting myself into, I was either going to be a, a, a much, much better cook and like really, really like become like a chef and make decent money as opposed to like working in like the restaurants I worked in, which weren't bad restaurants. They were, they were actually very good restaurants, but not the kind that pay a lot of money, right? Like not kind of, not chef money, like being first cook and being a kitchen manager, not being a chef and making real money. So part of me putting off writing was to like deal with that and like concentrate on that. But it was also this sense of maybe I have nothing to say. So I also started going back to school for linguistics and I started taking a lot of different languages and I'm not telling you I know any other languages, but I'll tell you that under the tutelage of those teachers, I was able to translate some poems and to really look at people, right? So I took Arabic and I was like, help me read uh, Nazar Kabani in Arabic. Tell me like 
closer to what he's saying. Help me read Ibn Zaydun in Arabic and help me get a better sense of what he's saying than what it's translated as. I know this is wrong. Like I'm a, one of the things that all my linguistics teacher says that you're a good nitpicker. You're not a great translator, <laughs> but you know when, when something's gone awry. You can tell when there's a mistake, right? Um, so that was my thing. I said, um, I don't need to write. I can read and then I will translate or I will help somebody else translate or even just transliterate because I took uh, Sumerian too and that was a lot of transliteration and being like, see how this piece of the word kind of means this thing, you know, and uh, we might not know what the rest of the word is. So you really have to deal with like uh, morphology in that one even more so than just straight up, uh, you know, uh, syntax and stuff like that, you know. So that's why I took five years off. I want to become a different person I ended up being. Oh, as soon as that relationship was off, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go <laughs> back to writing. I'm going to find somebody who wants to hang out with me and, and write with me. And that person was Proust. <laughs> Proust was my rebound. Right. I guess. Again. Oh, no. What were you saying? That Proust was my rebound and helped me write again. Oh, that could be an episode title. Proust is my rebound. But uh, I want like something too that maybe I want to ask you about is because since you're writing and I guess a more pro style on this you wrote at one point and i know you've you've written poetry in the past and there's some poetry in this but one of the the lines in here that i wanted to maybe talk about is um the poet's mind written in verse is cursed to be misunderstood even by the self-same self who wrote it years ago so like i wanted to ask like in light of this conversation does it feel like you you don't know who you're all, who you were when you wrote this in some ways oh yeah like uh so I've avoided a lot of problems, right? Like uh, I try, try to be not too problematic, but I, I know that uh, there's certainly one line in a book I wrote a long time ago that has kind of a, uh, has a rough line in it that I would definitely take out now. I know why I wrote it, and uh, it's just not something I would do now. So I'm not that same person. I don't think, or I wouldn't find that same kind of uh, humor even, you know, or, or, or idea. So I think, I think, yeah, you're, we're always changing. We're always shifting. You're always, we're always different selves, you know? So yeah, I, I think about that a lot. I, there's part of me that doesn't know certain things, you know? And in, even in revising that, that book, that book was written very, very quickly and took years to revise all the parts that weren't the actual diary part. Like, you know, everything that worked around the italic stuff that was painstakingly like rewritten and uh, not rewritten, but uh, edited. Like I, I, I usually edit by subtraction, not addition. It's very rare I add anything, but there are little bits where it's like, you can't say that. I took out little snippets here and there, you know, and some of the easy things I took out, like uh, there was a part of me that wanted to play off of a younger self of mine. Right. So I had lines in there that worked like uh in very like maybe in joking fashion maybe more serious than i would like to believe fashion of like playing with like like a like beat styles right so uh but i i took it out after a while I was just like i was like you don't need to reference like any kind of goofy like silly like buddhist stuff you know in, in a way that sounds as goofy and silly as like dharma bums right even if you're trying to play with it so i took out some of that stuff right um uh, i originally wrote into a lot more like uh raw stuff because i was like oh i should start uh really aiming towards, like, uh, writing, like, uh, smut, because I always think it'd be fun to write smut, and I never really do it. I always, like, back off. But I did, and that have a little bit, and I took it out. I was just like, like that's not going to be as funny 
as you want it to be, or that's not going to be as interesting as it could be. So yeah, like I'm, I never feel like I'm the same person, even a couple days after having written something. A lot of times, if it can stand, I let it stand. I don't like a lot of revision, but if it can't stand, it can't stand. I got to let it go. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe in terms of like growing and maybe not using some of the stuff you, 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 you did before, like what, What's some of the stuff over the years that's kind of changed your mind on that? Like, what have you been reading in that regard that's maybe changed your mind on how you think about that? I don't, I don't really know. I don't really, you know, some, it might be as simple as just reading Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram that's like changed my mind on some of that, right? It might be as simple as uh, doing readings alongside other people and hearing things going, oh, I'm glad I didn't like that, you know, because, hey, I, I've had a couple of those readings where there's been rough things around me where I'm just like, I am so glad that that I'm not the person who said what somebody else said. So, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to name names in terms of like who, who took the, who took some bad steps, you know, and made me say, I don't want to do these things. But I also just realized that, you know, it's not my, it's, it's not my place to do certain things. Like find out what I'm, what I'm all right at, what I'm decent at and, and work with that, you know? So, uh, you know, there are like some goofy things. I just don't, need to do like i said uh i, I want to write smart i think it'd be like hilarious and be funny but i'm like eh, that's not that's not what you're doing in this book you don't need to do it maybe one day you'll do it you know right now it's uh it's all notebook work you know that's stuff that that doesn't have to see the light of day yet it's not ready you know uh even if i want to do anything that's like even a little bit more like spiritual uh i could do that too but that's notebook work right right now that's not that's not necessarily need to get published i don't need to do it and if anything sounds weird later on i can like kind of fix that up too you know uh but uh, I guess what I do now, though, to in terms of pushing an envelope uh, more so than what I did before, is uh, I've really allowed myself to to tap into like using a lot more slang uh, and and uh, working a, a lot more out of uh, out of hip hop than I did at one time. I never allowed myself to like really enjoy uh, using any using vernaculars. Uh, the way I do now. So that's, that's different. And that's important to me, you know, and that also comes from like just listening to people around me and thinking, huh, maybe I denied myself that, you know, I don't know. Well, I guess since you brought up um, like something else I wanted to ask you about too, is um, I guess memes and how you use Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that. Like, and I know that, you know, that's been something that's been important for you as like a, a self-published writer. So like how, I guess, how have you used those platforms over the years to, do memes and try and, you know, get people to read what you're writing. Oh, I hate, I know people need to do it. I hate advertising myself. I really, really don't like, Hey, go get my book. Occasionally I do it, right? You have to sooner or later, but I just, you know, I kind of want to put myself out there in a different way that maybe has people saying, huh, let, I wonder what, what other, what other things are out there? Like, do I have books or anything like that? Right. So, at one point, I was doing a monthly series, and I'm still kind of playing around with that, but I'm not doing it as seriously as I once did, where I would play with a cliche over and over again. So one of the ones that made me, like, made people start to pay attention to me was when I was doing a whole series of, like, uh, in the streets, in the sheets, you know, uh, and now I'm, now I'm on, like, kind of fuck, marry, kill, even though I really want to get rid of that, that, that titling, but I've been playing around with, with, that, with that game a little bit, you know? And then I was just like, I don't know why, how the meme thing came to me, except one day I was just, 
I was looking at a comic book and I thought to myself, huh, this, this one moment in this comic book kind of reminds me of something Kierkegaard said. And it was like so goofy. And I went with it from there. Now I've played around more traditional memes, you know. But at one point it was like straight up just comic books and philosophy like as much as possible. And I just hope that what it would do is if you didn't know me, maybe now you want to know a little bit more about me. Maybe you're wondering like how do comics and philosophy play into what else I'm doing, you know. But hey, if it doesn't work out that way, it doesn't work out that way. I know some people have simply uh, taught a couple of my racism in class. Some people have, like, uh, used my memes in class, some, you know, and that's fine, too. It's a, it's its own thing. If it doesn't, like, push another book for me, it doesn't push another book for me. I, I'm not going to say I'm not concerned with – I'm not concerned with sales. Flat out, I'm not concerned with sales. Uh, I was born broke. I'll die broke. It's okay. I don't got any money, uh, but I'll eat. Don't, I'll figure it out, you know, but, like uh, – I would like uh, as many readers as want to read me, as I said before, you know, and I hope the memes get some people to, to look at some, some of my other stuff without me having to like hammer home that I've written a book. Yeah, I totally feel that. But one, then you brought up one other thing I want to ask you about in the meme space, which is, um, I think you did poems about like erasure poems, but I'm trying to remember what you had a series of erasure poems going. What was that? I can't, I'm struggling to remember. So, so the, the thing I did with, I did, I had, uh, Three streams of erasures, right? And actually, oftentimes, I say I'm working with braids. I have, like, three three things that are getting braided together. So the erasures I had were, I had what I call twee erasures, where I took twee songs and broke them down to, like, their, their saddest as much as possible, right? Then I had, uh, like, pop culture ones, kind of, where I was just trying to play with, like, receipts. I did a lot of receipts. Um, I did uh, bills, and I definitely did every sweetener pack that I could find stevia uh trivia domino sugar any any sweetener I could find packets and uh that kind of stuff and then the last one was I did uh, a lot of political apologies and that was the one that I mean that probably did the best for me in terms of like people like paying attention to me but there because there were so many things that people were saying sorry for like like or or or, or non-apologies too right like yeah we called the cops on these two guys in Starbucks like I guess we're sorry kind of apologies you know so i did i did erasures of that stuff too kind of very similar to what uh what isabella o'hare uh was doing with uh apologies from you know the guys after all the going through all the all the accusations that they went through that they rightfully deserved to be accused of because they more than likely all did it right like let's let's face facts like Louis C.K. is a scumbag. You know, his apology does nothing for us, right? Like, so I appreciate all the uh, erasures that, that Isabel was doing. And as I was doing those other ones, like, something came to the newsfeed. It might even have been the Starbucks kids, you know? And I was just like, huh, that's some bullshit. And did an erasure. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, too, something about um, it's the way you've been doing memes lately. I think you do a lot on Instagram. And you seem to be doing a lot of image-based memes now. Like, why, why did, why have you uh, been uh, doing image-based memes? I guess uh, as a writer, like, what, what, what attracts you to that medium? Oh, all right, it's kind of messed up, but like, I'm not a, a very visual person. For as reading as many comics as I as I do when I can, like, I've been busy recently. I've been reading as many comics. Like, I'm way behind, right? But uh, I'm not a very very visual person. And I guess I want to see, but could I be, right? Like, could I do something with 
with imagery when I had always been kind of, or do something with something visual, because I, I do stuff with imagery all the time. I mean, like, that's how you write a fucking metaphor, right? But, uh, uh, but I want to see if I could actually take a, a visual thing and work with it. And it was a challenge to myself, so I really want to, to pair these things. When I was younger, like, I didn't get a lot of things out of school. I didn't like a lot of, uh, a lot of what people said in workshops. But one of the things that one of my professors said early on was like, they're like, you do this one thing really well, and that's rhyming images. You all, like, you have one image, it looks just like the next image, looks just like, like, all your images rhyme. Like, I'll do up and down forever and ever. I'll do left and right forever and ever kind of thing. Like, whatever that image is. So I, I figured, what if I took an actual visual thing and see if I could match it with something? And that's why I did it, just as simple as that. Also, I know that uh, I was getting tired of working with words to a certain extent. I was, I was like, maybe you're getting boring. Like, you, you're just working with words, you know? So I want to take visual uh, images and see what I could do with them. And I also thought I was going to get off of Facebook and just go to Instagram. So I was trying to deal with images like that, too. And, and I'm still on Facebook, you know? But it's okay. I, I, I enjoy doing the memes. And then when I got into the advertising on that, that made me so, uh, that was like really nice for me because there's no part of me that doesn't like all the, you know, like Warhol and Klaus Oldenburg's my favorite, you know? So I always wanted to like deflate something. Like Klaus Oldenburg's my favorite. I like soft sculpture. I always wanted to deflate the form from the function. So like any kind of erasures I've done with, uh, with advertising is my, my favorite. Yeah, and uh, well, this is something else, else I've noticed. Do you feel like people are moving from the other platforms to Instagram like, right now? It feels like Instagram's kind of the big, the big one right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. If people are, are maybe people are moving. I don't know. I was, I feel like Twitter's big, but I, I can't make Twitter work for me for some reason. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't get a good, I don't get good response on on Twitter. But I, um, but I do think a lot of people maybe are moving to Instagram mostly because of the stories. I think people really like Instagram stories. You know, they disappear after twenty four hours. So if you made a tremendous mistake. Like, it'll be gone soon. Or, or, or you can just delete it right then and there. But, it, you know, certainly it'll disappear very quickly. But I think people like the idea of, you know what? I did have a good meal. I'm going to take a picture of a good meal that I had or a good meal that I, that I made. I think people do like uh, showing them showing themselves. You know, I do think that people want uh, to show you their cats and their dogs and their parrots and whatever they have. And, uh, you know... Uh, for someone like me, that was as simple as like, oh, it was a really funny part of this comic I read. I'm going to do that. Or, you know, or full pages of like a, a poem that you read. I think that there's something about it and it tends to be a lot less commenting. Like Facebook commenting gets out of control and I feel like I've never had anything go sideways on me in, on an Instagram post. And I think that might also be why people enjoy Instagram is that people just tend to hit the, the heart and keep it moving, you know? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people feel like Instagram is just like a safer platform, one where you're not likely to get canceled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to ask you too, like, um, I guess about jokes and comedy, because well, that's a couple points in the in the book you mentioned. You know that you for a while you were trying to do stand up. So I guess like, um, how do you like view comedy in relation to um, what you're writing? Okay, so. I like, I, I guess when it comes to comedy, I love the guys who can spin a long yarn, right? Like, uh, man, you, you give me one of those, like, Norm MacDonald, like, long, spread out, the, like, the aristocrats. Like, that joke 
is awful and horrible. I've watched that movie a bunch of times, you know, because I want to hear everybody tell that joke a bunch of times, right? Because I like someone who can, who can spin a yarn for a long time. I'm not that kind of a, of a, of a joke person if I really did tell jokes. Everything, all the stand-up routines I was working on were all, like, really quick, like, kind of uh, one after another punchline kind of things, like like a Stephen Wright or, or a Mitch Hedberg, you know, like, a little bit headier, but not nothing much, you know, like, kind of observational. Fuck it. Maybe, maybe I was even doing Seinfeld to a certain extent, even though I don't want to admit to that, right? Even though my, my favorites are probably, like, I love anything, I love all John Leguizamo's one-man shows. Obviously, I liked, uh, liked Chris Rock a lot. I used to like Dave Chappelle. Like, he's canceled now. Like he can't say the right thing ever. Like he can't think ahead in, in life. But you know, uh, so in terms of how I write, I do tend to think about it sometimes like one joke, one joke, one joke, one joke, right? So one sentence, one stanza, one sentence, one stanza kind of thing very, very quickly. I, I do kind of want to rapid fire it out, you know? Um, and I hope that maybe there's an underlying overall narrative that brings it all together at the end. But if there's no punchline, that's fine. You know, uh, like was a Hannah Gadsby, I kind of kind of really liked that one because I was like, oh, I guess you'll have to do all these things, you know. And you can pause at the bad parts too. It's like I was like, oh, she gets it. She's a poet. She's not a fucking common comedian, you know. But uh, I I think I've allowed myself to have a lot more humor in my stuff. And hey. It's a poem. No one laughs. I don't feel bad about it. You know, like that's the one thing I will say. It's really, really good about writing a poem, or even, or especially writing diary. Right? Is that if I think something's funny and no one else does, it's okay. I, I read a book that was talk. Uh, I think it was called "Stop Me If You Heard This One Before." I think it was in that book because I've read a bunch of books about how to write uh, comedy because I'm a that kind of person. But uh, they were talking about how like the difference between talk, telling a joke. And telling a dream is that one has a punchline, but a lot of times, like, you know, they're just as, like, as abstract, or they can be just as, like, pointless, you know? But one's supposed to have a payoff, and most, all the time you tell someone about your dream, there's no real payoff. So I think that when, when, a, when my poems are going right, there is a punchline, there is a payoff. When a, when a poem's not going right, it ends up as a dream, but that's fine. Now we're back to surrealism again. Right, and you write in the in your book, um, punchlines can lose touch, jokes become refused by laughter. And I think there's a lot, you write a lot about, I guess, acceptance and um, I guess being with other people in a kind of way that gets at, I guess, the contradictions there. So how do you view jokes in that same kind of way? Yeah, so, you know, a lot, you know, people have asked me, you know, why I started writing. And I, I would say that the way I first started writing, the the reason I want to start writing is I wanted to do comedy, and the first way I learned how to form an idea of writing was by doing the dozens as a kid, right? Like, just joking around. Like, I was pretty good at, at dissing people, you know, back in the day. Sometimes I hit a little bit too hard, you know, and, like, obviously that wasn't good. But it's the only way I could, like, get in with a crowd, right? Like, uh, I, had, I actually had plenty of friends in high school. I'm not going to act like I was one of those people who didn't have any friends. I had, I had a lot of fucking friends, to be honest, in, in high school. And most of it was around because I could joke around a lot, you know, and I, I could figure out what people understood, too. I understood not the level of comprehension of a joke, right? Like, this could be a sports-based joke. This can be a sex-based joke. This can be a rap-based joke, you know. This can be a, a based on your person. So I kind of did that. And I do the same thing at work now where it's like I joke around with a lot of people, you know, to, to fit in. 
uh, when I'm just talking, I don't. Like, that's when people are like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And obviously, all my jokes go over the head, or maybe they weren't well-constructed in the first place, so they, they don't go over the head, they go under the bottom because they didn't make any goddamn sense to begin with. They just fell flat, as, as one says. Wow. You know, I, I bomb, I admit it, you know? And uh, there's certainly uh, groups of people that didn't like my jokes as much. Uh, in the movie uh, Dolomite is My Name, there's a great scene where Rudy Ray Moore and his friends go to watch that comedy with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, and they don't get it. And, like, uh, I immediately, with, like, one of my friends, like, oh, that's white humor, right? And I realized that uh, maybe sometimes I do, like, African-American humor or, or black humor, and that uh, when I worked around a lot of white people, didn't, that my same jokes didn't necessarily go over very well. But for me, growing up in New York City, uh, around a lot of black people and I'm also black, but, uh, you know, only part black and, you know, somewhat lighter skin and different hair texture. I had to do whatever I could to kind of fit in and being geeky too, and certainly not in shape and can't play any fucking sports. Uh, joking was the best thing I could do to like get people to like back off me a little bit. Same thing at my job now, you know, it's like everybody's listening to hip hop. I don't actually listen to that much hip hop. Like, uh, I can't really discuss that with people. I'm listening to fucking, I don't know, maybe Bell and Sebastian, right. Or, or, something new, let's say the Growlers or like Beach House now, you know, but I can still joke around about things and that kind of allows me in. Oh, well, I think my, my girlfriend might be, would be mad at me if I didn't ask this question. So like, what are you, what are your favorite, uh, Bell and Sebastian songs? But to be myself completely is number one, flat out, you know, uh, was it Sookie in the Graveyard is good. Uh, wow. This, this is really, this is Mary Jo. They're, they're, there's so many good ones, though. They have so many good you know, ones. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, up until uh, the last two albums, uh, you know, I didn't dig. I, I loved them. And Isabel uh, Campbell's stuff with, uh, what's his name, Mark Lanigan? Hawk is great. That's a great album, too, you know. Gentle Waves is also really good. All right, basically, what, whatever Bell and Sebastian, and specifically whatever Isabel touches, is fucking gold. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's my girlfriend's opinion of Bell and Sebastian as well. This is so another good thing to ask about Bell and Sebastian. I feel like, well, like what lyrics from them have stayed with you? I don't know. Huh. Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm really bad at memorizing lyrics, but you know, I was happy oh, same here. once, like, yeah, in like 1979 or whatever the hell, whatever the fuck the year is, you know, we talked about it, it was happy maybe one time kind of thing. Like, I, I, I like that, you know, somebody took the heat off of him. You know oh, that the, the whole, state the, the state I am in. Yeah, the state I'm in. Yeah, like, like that. You know, that's got that's got great lines. Cause I always think about that. I'm like, yeah, I was happy, and then oh yeah, and, you know, kind of thing. So I like that. You know, I also like uh, you know, Suki in the graveyard, where you know, kind of talking about like you know, manipulating another person, which is really fucked up. But I I kind of do like you know, understanding that like somebody thought they're taking advantage of you, but you're kind of taking advantage of them, kind of thing. I like it. I you know what? There's a lot of drama in that stuff. Like, I think this is why I really like Twee. I love the drama of it. And, like, Bill and Sebastian kind of write really dramatic songs. Like, in terms of, like, literally you could kind of make a play out of them. Right? Like, a lot of times. It's, it's a story. It's a story song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I wanted to ask you specifically about music, too, because, you know, you write, again, you write in the book that, um, like, for instance, one point you write, um, you put the headphones in, you turn the music on to, you know, block out the, the sound of the city. And, uh, so I want to ask you like, um, 
I guess, about how you, you use music in your daily life. Okay, so a lot of I I, I like I like kind of chaos around me when I when I write specifically. So uh, I always do work in like cafes, occasionally in bars. But I try not to do too much work in bars because one, you look like you're fucking again. Like you look like a little bit of a prick. Like I'm writing in the bar, you know. I'm so cool, you know, kind of thing. It doesn't mean I don't do it. It looks a little bit better now because it looks like I'm texting if I just do it on my phone, which is much better than getting a piece of paper, right? But uh, anyway, so I like chaos, and I like to add another level to it. So if I can, if I could put the music on and occasionally hear people, it's nice. Like, I don't actually put, like, my Spotify on gapless, right? Like, I want it to dip down and have a couple seconds between the ne- before the next song and whatever comes in that those in-betweens can be like gold for me. But I, so I, I, I use music to try to sometimes, uh, jog my memory. Like I, I really, I, I tend to listen to a lot of the same songs over and over again because I don't like a lot of music, you know? So like, Oh, when Roki Erickson died, man, I listened to Roki Erickson a fucking ton after that. Right now. I'm just like, Oh, this is great. And I used a lot of those things to trigger, uh, things, you know? And, at the same time, I was like, what's going to come in the in-between? So it's interesting. That's another layer to it. But then I did a whole series of, of what I, you know, I call the Bitch Tendency series, and they're anti-tributes, being that these are rappers I like who are very problematic, and I want to kind of have a nuanced discussion with them a bit, or just get angry with them in, in another way, right? So I listened to the, the rappers I did so far were DMX, uh, Ludacris, E-40, and Older Bastard. I listened to those guys for weeks on end, a lot of times to the same exact song, and I would read the lyrics and everything like that to come up with these, like, eight-minute-long, like, pieces to read, you know, at, uh, you know, aloud. I don't, like, really want to publish them, although I guess I'll have a piece of one published soon. But, yeah, I always want to get into this. I don't want my work to necessarily be super phonocentric, you know, but at the same time, I don't mind falling upon a rhyme or interior rhyme scheme or having some sort of meter to it. So sometimes music does allow me to keep a rhythm in my writing, which is which is nice. You know, uh, I very rarely listen to actually. I, fuck it, I hate jazz. I hate it, and I do not listen to it. But uh, I like things that are very extremely like uh, regimented, like like a pop song, like uh, like punk. Uh, or if I want something slower, then I'll listen to like more of a, like an ambient goth kind of thing, you know. Uh, but it allows me to keep some sort of a, a rhythm going, and it allows me to keep a mood going too. Because God, God knows, I can put on like you know hours of sad songs and be like, "This is gonna be the most miserable book ever," and that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, well, what you're saying just kind of reminded me of your memes. I feel like you really like the structure, like the structure of memes, because you enjoy that structure, but. You also bring that kind of chaos uh, to memes as well. <laughs> Does you feel like am I right there? Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to, to do that, you know. And I also I didn't. So uh, a friend of a friend does like uh, one panel comics, right? Does like the little cartoons, right? And uh, he was saying that like you know it's fun to like do these one panel things, you know. And sometimes they're a groaner, and sometimes they're the most fun. And I think that's what I did with, with memes, where I was just like, this thing is either going to be like an absolute groaner, or it's not necessarily going to make sense. So yeah, I do bring, 
I did appreciate bringing that kind of chaos. So it's kind of what I wanted. I want to bring some of the unexpected, even if the unexpected was also unwanted, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like I, no one wants to, not no one, but most people don't want to look at, you know, a Green Lantern uh, image and be like, Schopenhauer though? But I'm like, eh, they both talked about Will. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah, you do a lot of philosophy memes. Yeah. Sometimes though, I, I, I'm like, Ooh, I hope I don't get asked too many questions about these guys. So I'm like, turns out I might not know as much about them as I, as I want to. You know, like some people I know well, and some people, that's me with anything. Is I tend to know what I know well, and things I don't know, I kind of barely scratch the surface of. I'm like, eh, I understand where to put them in the library. Is how I always say, you know. Yeah, that's my relationship with a lot of philosophers too. I mean, some of them use a lot of words to to get at things that other people did very, very quickly, you know. Um, I mean, this, this is where great songwriting comes in, right? Where sometimes you're like, yep, you said everything I was thinking of. I shouldn't have taken that long to, to do this thing, you know. Sometimes it's philosophy too, you know. Like, sometimes you're like, I think that, I think, uh, you know, there's nothing not existential about, like, like I said, a lot of, like, well-done, like, music where you're just kind of like, yep, that's dread, that's anxiety, I get it. <laughs> yeah, well, what I guess what philosophers... Uh do you find yourself reading or, or drawn to? Oh, obviously I, I, I always say I like Kierkegaard. Um, may, see, when it comes to the, the one guy I really, really like, and it's so goofy and I hate to say it, and then I'll get to the next person. But I hate to say I like Camus. He's so, you know, he's kind of overdone and it's like such a kid's thing, but I loved his diaries, right? So like, he's one of those people I read his, or his notebooks. Sorry, he, he didn't write diary, he wrote notebooks. But, uh, Reading those, I was like, oh, this is really good. And now I'm like really into like doing notebooks. So I like Camus. Uh, Baudrillard's interesting, again, because he, he has a series of notebooks called Cool Memories. And so that's doing everything I want, right? I want memories and I want notebooks. And that's interesting. It still talks about some of the same stuff. And you can tell he's just trying to play with ideas. But the most recent guy I've really gotten into that I love is Hillary Putnam. I... Uh, Love Hillary Putnam, because Hillary Putnam doesn't like anybody. <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, the thing about Hillary Putnam is everybody was wrong in their own way, kind of thing, you know? Including himself, because he goes back <laughs> later on and goes, it was my bad, I shouldn't have said that, I was kind of wrong, you know? But the thing I like about him is he goes at Wittgenstein, and I do not like Wittgenstein. Anybody who wants to attack Wittgenstein is a friend of mine. Yeah, I saw Hillary Putnam speak shortly before he died, and I was I was actually just personally very annoyed because he had a Maoist phase. I wish he, I, was, I wanted <laughs> him to talk about his Maoist phase, and he wouldn't do it. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Damn, that's oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not mistaken, he did. I'm I'm fairly certain he did. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, you know, as soon as I get off this phone, I'm gonna like go and Google that and see because I I do not. That's one thing that that can be really really upsetting about like uh especially about, like. It, it happens with, like, philosophers of language the most. Like, look at Steven Pinker, this goofball, right? Like, they have interesting things to say about linguistics and about cognitive science, maybe, you know, and about how language itself works. And then they go off and say, like, the dumbest fucking political shit ever. Maybe not. Chomsky's kind of one of the, the ones who didn't say completely dumb shit. But he's not always right either. Yeah, at least with Chomsky, he's, uh... Well, A, he's not on the Epstein flight logs, and B, he, uh... Yeah. <laughs> he he is he's usually trying to be on the right side politically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if he fails, he 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 fails on the right side of wrong, <laughs> kind of thing. You know, if that made any sense. Yeah, totally. He's 
he's focused on left issues, but sometimes he just comes down on the wrong side of those issues. Yeah. Yep. No, Wait, no, who, I'm, oh, no, go on. Oh, no, now, now I want to know who, who do you like? Well, you know, just real quick to interject and ask you a question real quick. Ooh, okay. Well, I'm okay. Well, even though uh, Judith Butler has recently been canceled, I'm reading uh, the first book, which is called, which is about um, like interpretations of Hegel in the 20th century. I've been trying to get into, I guess, some of that mm, psychoanalytic feminist philosophy, but also Lacanian stuff. Um, oh, cool. that's, yeah, because that's really been something I've just never understood. I mean, doing a Marxist podcast, obviously, I like uh, Marx and a lot of the, the you know, Marxist cinematic universe thinkers. But I guess in terms of people who don't fall in that category, I always find Sartre interesting, not necessarily the earlier stuff, but his trajectory from post-World War II until his death. I think some of that stuff is kind of interesting, not like in a way that it's good, but I'm just like, Ooh, what's he up to? Cause he, he said yeah. some wild stuff. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's probably some more that I'm thinking, but that's those, that's what's off the top of my head. Well, I, I will say real quick because you brought up Judith Butler and I realized I, <laughs> I, I didn't mention like uh, any women, but I should be straight up. Like the most recent books I'm looking at it right now that I'm, that I'm reading actually is uh time and sense by Julia Kristeva. It's about Proust, but like I've been reading the fuck out of Kristeva too. So I, I should yeah, that, say that, and that's kind of like in the you know the vein of Butler in some weird way, kind of. Oh, for sure, and that's ex- that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm trying to get into, basically. Oh, and and, and Ira Garay, I, I I left out too. I feel bad, like I hate when I like I feel like I need to have a list like at hand, so I could be like you forgot somebody, you know? Because I mean, even even in terms of like what we were talking about earlier, right? Right? All these French modernists, I was like. I read black people, I read Native American people, you know, but it's always like, somehow it's like a stream of like these people, but like, yeah, so uh, I just wanted to make sure that Chris Davis got, got their name out there and uh, you're a <laughs> Yeah, well, I meant, well, this kind of brings me to something I did want to ask you about. And just to do one more book, uh, ph- philosophy type book that I really liked recently was um, Jared Sexton's Amalgamated Schemes. That was probably the last one that I really, really liked. Um, but cool. yeah, but um, I was going to say, like, have you read the, the anthology of Afro surrealist um, writing called like, I think it's black, brown and beige. It's just um, a collection like, you know, Cesare's in there and a lot of um, America, some American writers are in there, but have you, have you checked that out? Oh, all right. It's one of those books that's like on my radar. Right. And I, I, so long story short, no, I have not read it, but uh, the longer version of that is. I haven't read it because I want to wait to read it, I guess. Like, I want to put a little space... Uh, God, I've been saying that a lot lately, but I've been, I want to put some space between myself and the fact that people called me a surrealist a bunch of times. You know, I always said I wasn't surrealist. I'd say I'm real touch, go with it, you know, in terms of, like, how I uh, want to be... how I want to deal with surrealism, even though... So last year at the NOLA Poetry Festival, I, I, I was a part of a reading of Joyce Mansour's work, and I also uh, made the focus of my whole Jewish... Uh, Latinx uh, panel, like my particular talker on the Jewish Latinx panel about surrealism. So uh, I kind of stayed away from reading that book, but I do want to get to it uh, because I do want to see what who's in there and how they went about surrealism. I'm sure it's going to be very different, but I also want to take a break from surrealism. Like I've been, this is kind of why I want to read just like I read Don Goins recently. I, I, I'd read like the Kenyatta series, right? But I hadn't read Horson. 
And I want to read that recently because I was like, can I get a more grounded, fucking straight up book? You know, like uh, I've been, I've been wanting some air from experimental, I guess. But I should try the Afro Surreal uh, anthology there. I want to try it. I want or not try it. I want to read it. <laughs> I want to try it. Yeah. No, I I totally get that feeling of wanting space. I haven't really read very much philosophy or theory in the past couple years, and I've just been kind of going back in with some, you know, like we were saying before, some psychoanalytic stuff. But um, I guess is there anything is there anything else you want to talk about that we that we didn't get to? No, I I, I like this. I think I think we covered a, a lot of a lot of ground. I think we covered uh, a lot of the right ground too. You know, yeah. Oh, well, I'm really glad you feel that way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, good job. Thank you very much. But no, no, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to have a discussion about uh about something that like you know, I was really in the in the doing and took a long time to do. So thanks a lot for talking to me about it. Yeah, and sorry and sorry about all the, the technical difficulties. These things happen, you know, I I run series and the the, po- the poetry series I run, like we do multimedia sometimes, these things definitely happen. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I will. You'll have to come back on when um, you're. I I take it your next book's probably going to come out soon, given how quickly you you write and release books. <laughs> um, I, I I would say you know probably February or or March I'll probably have one out. Like probably right right around like you know AWP Nola time. I'm sure I'll have another one. All right. Well, you'll have to come back when that's when that's ready. Thank you. Thanks well, so thank much for talking. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good night.